As we come now before the very word of God, if you'd like to read with me, we'll be in the first letter of John in chapter 2. It's not the gospel of John. Uh, This is the first letter of John. If you're looking in your worship guide, I think the page numbers for the Pew Bibles are in there if you'd like to read from there. This is no surprise to us. This is just the next text in 1 John as we've been reading through. But uh, before we read, would you please pray with me? Almighty God, Your word is true, and it will accomplish the purpose for which you've sent it. So, Lord, as we now humble ourselves to sit before your word, would you help us to listen? Would your word make us awake and alert to all these things you have to say to us, that we would not be led astray, but that we would deepen our belief and trust in you. By your Holy Spirit, would you cause us to cling to these things, for they are good. And we ask this grace in Jesus' name. Amen. This is 1 John in chapter 2. We have a good number of verses to take up this morning. Uh, We'll begin in verse 18. So 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not all of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him.
This is the word of God. Now, today we'll be taking up the subject of Antichrist. That's what we're after today, Antichrist. The term Antichrist is only used five times in the Bible, and it only appears in the writings of John. Four times here in this first letter, and one time in his second letter. And even though this term is not frequently mentioned in the Bible, it's a fairly familiar term in many Christian circles. You know, to hear the, the word antichrist often uh, piques uh, feelings of, of interest, maybe a little bit of fear, some, some curiosity, perhaps also sometimes confusion. Antichrist is something that, that many Christians sometimes feel that they know and yet also don't feel like they know it at all. You know, but there's this gnawing sense that maybe I, I, I should know about this somehow. Now, we know the center of our faith is not Antichrist, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one we love, but we do need to know about Antichrist. It's important. If we care about Jesus, if we care about the Christ, we also need to know about Antichrist. So we need to listen and learn uh, from what John has given us here. We have a lot to unpack. We'll make just a series of several observations about this. Most of these will be around the question of what actually is Antichrist. What does that mean? But we'll end with the question, what do we do with all of this? So that's where we're headed. We'll just pick up this first question, what is Antichrist? And we'll have a bunch of observations. The first observation is around the timing of Antichrist. And John tells us it is in the last hour. That's how he opens this section in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that Antichrist is coming. Now, there's a whole branch of theology that specializes in this area. If you care about these sorts of things, it's called eschatology. The eschatos, the, the last thing, so discussing last days, the, the last time, or the way John puts it here, the last hour. And sometimes in the Bible, this last period refers to the whole span of time between when Jesus was first born to earth at Christmas and when he will return again to earth at the final judgment. That's sometimes called in the Bible the last days. So if anyone ever asks you if we're in the last days, in this sense, that answer is absolutely yes. It's entirely clear. There is no question that we live in between the time when Jesus first came and when he will come again. But there are other times in the Bible where last refers to some smaller window of time right before Jesus turn, returns. So if someone asks if we're in those sorts of last days, I don't know. It's just less clear. I have no idea. Some people go, give me a guess, and I, 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 still, I still don't know. 
it is not good for us to get tangled up too much in trying to suss out the future of these questions. You know, every time there seems to be a spark of trouble in the world, I hear somebody go, oh, it's the last days. This is it. This is the last one. People have been saying that for centuries, for millennia. Jesus is coming tomorrow. We just don't know the future here. That is not what the Bible means to tell us. Jesus does tell us that not even the angels of heaven know the day or the hour. So this last day period before Jesus comes, could even refer to spans of generations, whole lifetimes covered. That's why Peter, uh, when he's writing his letters, he says, hey, in the last days, people, listen, in these last days, there's going to be scoffers that come and go, where's Jesus? You know, it's been a while. You know, where's his promise? He said he was coming. Is he really coming? And Peter reminds the people, hey, with the Lord, a thousand years is like a day. And so we know that the Lord is not slow with his promise, but he's patient. The reason why it seems to take so long is because God is patient. So John can rightly say here, even way back in the first century, it is the last hour. Now, whatever exactly he means by those last hour, we don't need to think that John somehow got it wrong. Oops. Nor does it need to concern us that it seems to be a pretty long hour. We can at least say for sure that the last hour is a time when Jesus is not bodily among us on the earth, but antichrist are among us on the earth. That's the timing of it. And that time is now. That's the first observation around timing. Second observation is about the number of Antichrist. We're not given an exact number. You know, there's not an 18 or a 21 here. It's, but we do know that it's more than one. That there are many Antichrist. He says that, the opening again, verse 18, children, it's the last hour, and as you've heard, the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. That's different than the way most people think about what we know of Antichrist. Most people, most Christians, if we know anything about this, tend to think of Antichrist as just one person. And in the scripture, there is one singular figure that we can call the Antichrist. This is not Satan. He goes by other names. But this one Antichrist is a particular human agent of Satan who carries with him the full force of Satan's power. And this one Antichrist goes by various names in the Bible. So in 2 Thessalonians, he's called the man of lawlessness and the son of destruction. In the book of Revelation, he's called the beast of the sea. And in the prophet Daniel, which Jesus carries forward in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, calls this one the abomination of desolation. 
Those are big titles. And throughout history, many people have tried to pinpoint and identify exactly who this one Antichrist is. So, so they, they tend to name various popes, certain political leaders, certain people of power. And we throw out all sorts of names. I've heard uh, Napoleon and uh, Nero and Hitler and Reagan and Kennedy. You know, and then modern people are like, oh, those people are all dead. So we think we're minutes from the end, so, so we tend to pinpoint a bunch of living people. I've heard accusations of Obama being the Antichrist, Trump being the Antichrist, Bill Gates being the Antichrist, uh, Vladimir Putin being the Antichrist. And all of this speculation just turns into this giant silly game of Antichrist guess who. Does he have red hair? Yes or no? Oh, flip down a few. Does he wear glasses? Yes or no? Flip down a few. It ends up becoming just a messy, trivial distraction. All of that misses John's point anyway. But even, because even though there is one Antichrist in one sense, he is not ear-tagging that one. John is telling us that there are many Antichrists who have come and will come with the same spirit of Antichrist. So the number of them is many. That's the second observation. The number is many. The third, the nature of Antichrist. I mentioned this a little before, but I want to make this as clear as I can. Antichrist are not, not supernatural beings. They are not disembodied spirits. They are not bizarre creatures with tentacles and wings and, you know, noses like Voldemort or whatever else we think looks spooky. You know, these are particular humans who look just like everybody else. These humans, that's true of both the one Antichrist and of all the many Antichrists. And we know this in part because of our next observation, which is about the proximity of the Antichrist. We are told that these Antichrists have come from within the church. It's in verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. These antichrists are from us. They sat in our same pews, they sang our same songs. They prayed our same prayers. And now, John says, now with retrospect, we can look and it's plain and clear that certain ones of these were not part of Jesus. In fact, they're the opposite. They're the Antichrist. And that reality is unsettling in a lot of ways. It's unsettling because this gets real personal. To know that some have come from the church feels like a betrayal. 
to see that such a radical flip could happen in a person. These sorts of things can leave scars in us, scars of suspicion and paranoia, causing us to not know exactly who to trust. I mean, this is supposed to be a safe space, isn't it? And some people even fear that, that knowing that these have come out from the church, fear that, fear that that reality undermines the doctrine of eternal security. You may not know it by that name, but you've heard of the, the phrase, once saved, always saved. You know that? Heard that before? Once saved, always saved. Some people then may wonder, if these people were once with us, with Jesus, maybe, if they were with us, but they were, they're now against us, now they're anti-Christ, are they saved? The answer there is no. No, they're not. If any person is truly against Jesus, that person remains in his sin and still owes the full debt of sin that he will pay forever. That person has not lost the salvation of Jesus. He just never had the salvation of Jesus. There's an important distinction that John makes here to help clarify it. He says, these antichrists, they went out from us, but they weren't of us. They went out from us, but they're not of us. In other words, to all outward appearance, they seem to be part of the church on the outside. We knew their names. We knew their families. We went to ice cream social together. But those people were not actually part of the church on the inside. And this is an unsettling thought. To know that there are people in the pews who are apart from Jesus. Maybe you know people like that. Maybe you are someone like that. That's a sobering thought that we need to take seriously. If you need to talk to someone about that, please do. I'd be happy to lend an ear and hear what you're thinking. But this reality does not need to be scary for Christians. It does not undermine any part of our faith or belief or anything that Jesus has done. The Bible really teaches and affirms the doctrine of eternal security in God. That once you are saved, you are always saved. All people who are given to Jesus are his now and forever. That will not change. Every single one who is adopted as a child of God, every single one is never unadopted, never disowned, never abandoned by God. 
Every single Christian who is in Jesus is sealed by Jesus, saved by Jesus, secured by Jesus. That's his doing, not yours. So you don't need to be afraid. Even if you run away for a season, Jesus will surely, in his good time, bring home every one of his prodigal sons. We know that for sure. So if you ever find yourself worrying about these things, your first response should be to draw near to Jesus. It's a good place to be. He will be your comfort. At the same time, we don't assume that every person, even every leader in the church, really draws near and belongs to Jesus. There are some, not lots, but a few, who reveal themselves to be antichrist. So how can you tell? How can you identify antichrist? John doesn't give us any elaborate tests. You know, run, you know, dunk them underwater and see what happens. You know, he, he doesn't give us any definitions on these things to tease it all out. But he does aim at a core belief of Antichrist. That brings us to our fifth observation here, the belief of Antichrist. Antichrists are characterized by what they believe, or more, accurate, more accurately, by what they don't believe. Okay, so this is not about some fringe, obscure, obscure doctrine. This is not about social issues, about who's using what bathroom, or who thinks we should fight in what war. This is not about one of the many, many denominational differences, like when we should baptize a person, should we speak in tongues, how we structure our church with the elders. That's, those are important things, but that's not what this is about here. For Antichrist, there is a core denial that Jesus is not the Christ. That's what it means to be antichrist. It's in verse uh, 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Let me unpack that a little bit more. Antichrist may still believe in God. Antichrist may affirm that there was a real man in history named Jesus of Nazareth. Antichrist may still believe that Jesus is a good guy, that Jesus is a good teacher, that Jesus had good moral values, that Jesus did good work to help the poor, the needy, the outcast. But at the center, Antichrist denies the most important claim of Jesus, that he is the Christ. So these people are not anti-Jesus, per se. They're anti-Jesus as the Christ. Meaning they deny that Jesus is the anointed one of God. Deny that Jesus is the eternal king of the world. Deny that Jesus is 
God who was made man. John's more specific in his second letter. In 2 John, where is it? Verse 7, he says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. They deny the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Now that's an interesting way to put it. For all of us, for you, for me, for any other person, we do not come in the flesh. That's a strange way to speak. We are flesh. Everything we do is in the flesh. All, all that I do is, is fleshly. So that's just, we're just humans. Now Jesus is also a human. He is fully human. But Jesus is more than just human. He is also God. He is the one who has come in the flesh. And this is at the very core of our faith as Christians. Because if Jesus is not the Christ, if Jesus is just a man, and not a man who is also God who has come in the flesh, If that's the case, then his death for our sin is meaningless. If he is not God, his death is inadequate. It's just an unfortunate waste of blood. If Jesus isn't God, the Christ who is to come, then Jesus is just another guy who's trying to teach us all how to be good. And if that's the case, in that sense, he would be no different from Gandhi, from Mohammed, from Confucius, from Joseph Smith, from Mother Teresa, Nostradamus, Buddha, the Pope, L. Ron Hubbard, Dalai Lama, anyone else, name whoever you want. And only human Jesus would leave us still dead in our sin and separated from God forever. If Jesus is not the Christ, as the Antichrist believes. Now, we need to make one final observation about what Antichrist is before we move briefly and finish with what we are to do. Last observation has to do with the intent of Antichrist. What is it that Antichrist means to do? Because Antichrist is not a term for just anybody who who isn't a Christian. We don't call all non-Christians Antichrist. Not every person who denies Jesus is the Christ in their own belief fits in the category that John's talking about. There are lots, lots of people who say, hey, you believe in Jesus, I believe in something else, that's fine, let's just each mind our own business. Now that's not a good thing, 
That's not something we want. That person would still be apart from Jesus, but that doesn't make them the Antichrist. Antichrists are anti, opposed to, actively against Jesus Christ. They deny Jesus as the Christ, and they want others to do the same. That's what he says in verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. That's what they're after. They're trying to deceive you. So the many antichrists want you to believe the same lie that they have come to believe. They are actively recruiting. Christians aren't the only ones who want to evangelize converts. In fact, there are lots of people seeking converts of all sorts of various kinds. You know, people that are like, hey, we should all be tolerant. That's seeking a convert. And the spirit of the Antichrist is trying to make converts to their side too. Which means that Antichrist is not just working against Jesus. The Antichrist is working against you. They want you. So now what? What do we do? There are a few things that we don't have to get, but we already have as guardians against Antichrist. John names two particular things that guard us, the Holy Spirit and true knowledge. He says it in verse 20. You have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. So as John is speaking, and now as I'm speaking about John, about the Antichrist, we are not teaching anyone a totally new thing that's never been heard before. You know? He says a little bit later, hey, you don't need anyone to teach you this stuff. This is not a new thing. This is a very old thing that you already know, at least in some sense, already know well. So even though we might be in the last hours, we're not in some sort of last-minute scramble like you do in your house when someone's coming over to visit and you're just jamming things in closet doors. That's not what's happening here. Uh, we've already had this knowledge for a very long time. We've heard it from the beginning. So even though they may have the spirit of Antichrist, we have the spirit of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit of God who is infinite in power and will not be outmoded. Which means that whatever the Antichrist may bring, either from Antichrist who have come or the Antichrist who is to come, whatever they may bring, we do not fear We do not fret. We do not fight or flight. We have no need to faint or fall back. 
we have the Holy Spirit, and we have knowledge, but then John does call us to do one thing in response to Antichrist. Just do one thing. Listen for it. I'll read verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. In response to all of this massive stuff, he just says, abide. That is, draw near, stay close to God, to Christ, to his truth. That looks like continuing in prayer, continuing in the word, continuing in worship, simply to come to Jesus often. To be here and abide with Jesus is a place of peace and rest that no antichrist can touch. Jesus Christ, the Holy Son of the Father, is the God who has come in the flesh, the one who who saves us from sin and death into eternal life. So, So do not be deceived by anyone who would say otherwise. Believe all that the Christ has said and abide in the Son and the Father. Pray with me. Lord, would you make this true of each one of us here now? Help us to receive this word with all gravity and grace so that we would not be ignorant and not be intimidated by any antichrist, but Lord, Would you draw us near to the true Christ? And Lord, would you be our glory and our guard that we would honor and praise you now and forever? We ask this in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.